Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. Our mission is to live the way of Jesus so we can leave the world better than we found it. If you'd like more information about our church, you can click on the link in the show notes or head to Christ-Community.com. All right, let's get started. Let's continue to worship, though, in the reading and preaching of God's Word. Uh, This morning's scripture comes from a a variety of spots within the book of Micah. So we're looking at Micah 2, 1 through 2, 3, 5, 3, 8 through 11, uh, and 7, 2 through 3. Here's what it says. Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light, they carry it out because it is in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, her prophets tell fortunes for money, yet they look for the Lord's support and say, is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. The faithful have been swept from the land. Not one upright person remains. Everyone lies in wait to shed blood. They hunt each other with nets. Both hands are skilled in doing evil. The ruler demands gifts. The judge accepts bribes. The powerful dictate what they desire. They all conspire together. This may be a hard one, but this is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Lord, there are portions of your scripture that are harder for us to read, that are harder for us to take in. And this may be one of them this morning. And so we pray for soft hearts to hear what you have. We pray for soft hearts for your spirit, and I pray it for myself, uh, that we might apply it in our own lives. We pray for soft hearts, uh, even for those who may come to mind for us as we read these words. Lord, may we long for repentance for others above judgment. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's lighten this up a little bit. How are you feeling about your parenting this week, if you're a parent? How are you feeling uh, if you have uh, little ones in your life? How are you feeling about uh, the example that you're setting for them? The answer may be like, oh, not bad. I don't know. I mean, I go to church. Show them to go to church. I teach them good things. How about, uh, Steve, we got a picture, I think, here first. Yep. How about when you look at this? <laughs> How much have you stolen? Let's be honest. Um, and, you know, maybe even when you look at this bowl of candy, you're like, I'm, I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, you know, you, it can be really easy to think, I'm really not eating that much of it. 
if you're throwing those wrappers away one by one, right? Once you see the pile, you're like, oh, what have I done? I just, I just gorged, right? I just uh, lost myself. Uh, or maybe you're still, you're feeling good about it. And then I don't know about you, but particularly the chocolate, right? I start noticing there's a little something that pops up on my nose or on my face. A little blemish comes about that's like, oh, that's right. I have been eating a lot of candy now. I gotta chill. Uh, I, this may not be your thing, at all, but you know, it's uh, thinking about those who are supposed to be leading God's people uh, are kind of abdicating their roles, right? It's a fun, funny kind of uh, way, perhaps, of thinking about it. Uh, have, I, have I abdicated my role, perhaps? I'm supposed to be guiding my children uh, in wise decisions, right? In nutrition and what they put in their body, et cetera. And uh, man, if they could see what happens with that candy bowl after they go to bed, they might not, uh, they might not follow me in those decisions anymore, I guess. But. So we're talking about uh, this series in the book of the prophet Micah. What's good, right? What's good? Uh, and what we're going to see, we've seen a little bit of this with week one, uh, with this book of Micah, uh, is that there's a, a bit of a cycle, um, that happens, that God has shown his people what's good. He's shown them. He says it in, in Micah 6, 8, I've shown you what's good and what I require of you. Right? It's kind of a lens for the entire book. Uh, and yet, God's people have chosen to go their own way. Right? They have chosen uh, to, to determine what's right and wrong for themselves, which has led them, the covenant people of God, uh, into oppression of others, injustice. They've actually uh, propagated this just like the world. Uh, and then God promises judgment will come. All right. uh, injustice, oppression uh, w- will not come without the judgment of God on some level. And then at the end, uh, there is hope. I still promise, even for a remnant who will follow me, hope. Uh, there will still be a witness of God uh, on this earth somehow, some way. Uh, and what Micah does is, unlike some of the other prophets that may have a whole bunch of oracles right, that are talking about uh, judgment and a whole bunch of oracles that are talking about the hope, what Micah does in his fairly short book uh, is over and over again, go through those cycles. So there's, there's kind of three separate cycles for Micah here, and that's why. Uh, we've pulled out uh, some different passages from the scriptures to show sort of in chapter two and chapter three and chapter seven uh, how Micah is convicting uh, God's people of their sin. And so we're looking at this this week as the abandonment of good. Uh, And so on a a much, much grander scale, uh, than a parent who may abandon uh, their, their role of showing their children what it looks like uh, to live a healthy lifestyle. What we see is that there's, a, there's an abandonment of good within the people of God led by uh, those who are supposed to be caring for the people of God, those who are supposed to be shepherding the people of God. Uh, and it's, it's gone to a pretty dark place. And so Micah is ministering in a time period kind of uh, at the same time as the prophet Isaiah, very similar there, uh, in Judah. 
which is the southern kingdom, right? Uh, Micah is one who seems to think of himself as an, an outsider. He's not part of, of kind of the, the typical uh, structure of official prophets, or at least he does not really uh, uh, present himself that way. Uh, and he's ministering in a time where uh, you've got Jotham and Ahaz, uh, who are the kings of Judah, leading Israel, or excuse me, leading God's people in Judah in particular, that southern kingdom, right, further and further astray. Uh, the scriptures say uh, that Ahaz in particular uh, was a particularly wicked king one who did not lead in the way of his father, David, uh, but led like the kings of the northern kingdom, uh, Israel, led like most of the kings of the southern kingdom of Judah also, right? more and more in the direction uh, of wickedness, of sin, uh, and what we'll see in a moment, of injustice and oppression as well. And so this is, uh, this is the context that Micah is stepping into and saying, hey, Here's what's going on. Here's what you have done. Uh, here's how it's very different from what God has laid out for us in his scriptures. Uh, and as we'll see next week as well, uh, bringing a word of judgment to them that's uh, meant to bring about repentance for sure. So this is, this is Micah's context. Right? And what we see as he is uh, prosecuting God's people uh, with these passages that are uh, focused on uh, what Israel and Judah have done is this. I'll run through them real fast and I'll come back uh, so you don't have to put the slides up there quite yet. Uh, God's people were overcome by their desire for more. God's people are overcome by their desire for more. God's representatives abdicated their duty to guide and rebuke and God's witness in the world looked just like the world. So first, God's people were overcome by their desire for more. Did you catch it? They said, uh, Micah said, they covet fields and seize them. They covet fields and seize them. And so it, it doesn't say um, they're filled with hatred for the poor. It doesn't say uh, that they just like had kleptomania, Right? They, I don't know that this is the accurate uh, definition of kleptomania, right? But like just joy from the act of taking. I, one, one time I worked uh, in a restaurant where uh, one of the managers was eventually fired because he was stealing from uh, the tips of the bartenders, right? Just taking a little bit out of the envelope, apparently, night after night. Uh, they finally figured out that this was going on. And of course, they had video in the office, so they, it was pretty cut and dried. But what they also saw was that uh, he was stealing coat hangers, right? He was stealing totally meaningless things just from the joy of taking, right? That's not what this is saying here, right? It's not saying hatred. It's not saying just a, a joy from uh, taking things away from people necessarily, but that, that they coveted. They wanted what was not theirs, right? It began in the heart, Right, we look at things like the Ten Commandments, and you know the first five or so are all about like honoring God, and those are the easy ones to be like, yeah, no, totally, I'm good there. Yeah, 
for sure, love God, <laughs> right? How many people do you honestly uh, run into that say, uh, no, I hate God, I'm definitely against him, right? I mean, it, even if somebody does say that, they're either like de-godding him or de-gooding him, right? He's either God who's not good, right? Uh, or he's good but not God, he doesn't have enough power to do anything, right? Uh, really, truly, very few people look at these things and say, oh, that applies to me, I'm an enemy of God, right? Uh, and so what we begin to see is it gets uh, more and more specific and gets down to our actions. And then it gets down to, oh, and by the way, at the very end, don't covet anything of your neighbors, <laughs> right? Uh, don't desire after anything that ain't yours, basically, right? That is the Appalachian virgin. Um, and so what we see is it begins in the heart. It's a pattern throughout the scriptures. Uh, it's a pattern throughout the prophets as well this cycle uh, that's going on. We see it a lot also in, for example, the book of Judges. There's a cycle of apostasy that happens again and again and again for the people of God there, right? Uh, the people begin with just a covetous heart, just a covetous heart, right? And, and actually, maybe even before that, actually good desires, right? Good desires, I, I, I wanna do well in life, right? I, wa I want to uh, be married, Right? I want uh, to uh, experience beauty, all very good things, good things that are in our hearts that God placed there, uh, and yet uh, we start putting them into these ultimate positions. They become uh, covetousness. Like, uh, you may want to be married, but you can't want to be married to the person that's married to someone else. Right? That's, that's not yours. Right? Uh, it moves to covetousness. It moves to idolatry. I have to have this thing or person or whatever it is in order to have life, right? So it starts in just desire to covetousness, and then it moves into uh, the actual behavior, right? Immoral behavior of some sort. And usually what's next is that God's people begin to say, what if it's not that wrong? Yeah, we'll decide what's right and wrong in our own hearts. The behavior usually comes first, right? There's usually a, just this once, then I'll repent. <laughs> the, the behavior usually comes first uh, and then moves toward a justification, moves toward, you know, I'm not sure it's that wrong anymore. I'm rethinking things. Deciding what's right and wrong in our own eyes. It's a, a theme again and again in the scriptures. And then what do we see? An apostasy, a falling away. And then oppression. Systemic levels of exploitation of other people for their own desires. Happens again and again throughout the scriptures, right? Uh, and so what's, what's going on here in these first few verses in particular, uh, where Micah talks about uh, those who are uh, on their beds thinking about the evil that they want to do, right? Planning ahead for their iniquity. The coveting has created a plan uh, for iniquity, for this plotting of evil, right? And these, uh, in the original language, there's a sense of deceit in there as well. Right? I, I'm going to deceive in order to get this. I'm beginning to move into that place. Right? It starts in a covetousness in my heart. It's ending up, I'm moving into this space 
where I'm actually getting joy out of the oppression itself. There's a connotation of even that in the words here. Uh, and so uh, this, this pattern, this cycle happens again and again throughout the scriptures uh, in God's word. And it reminds me of, I don't know if y'all have seen this, having little kids uh, has gotten me watching more nature-like uh, documentaries than I would ever naturally go toward in my life. Like nature's cool, I like it. I'll hit a zoo every once in a decade or so on my own. But uh, so with my kids, I've watched a whole bunch of different things. And one time uh, we saw, you may have seen this, there's, a, there's like a zombie fungus. Have you seen this? Yeah, uh, I'm gonna mess up the pronunciation, I'm sure. But uh, one of them is called uh, Ophiocordyceps unilateralis. Uh, and so what happens is these ants walk through the fungus on the floor of the jungle, uh, and they get this fungus all over them, and it slowly, this is kind of gross, right, but it kind of like works its way through their bodies uh, and, and takes the ant over so that it kind of does the fungus's bidding, right? I'm not assigning personality to fungi here. Okay, so that's, a, that's an example of it, right? You can see the fungus that's kind of growing up all over uh, this, uh, is that a spider? That's a spider, isn't it? Anyway, it's growing on that thing. Uh, and, uh, and it's creating kind of a, a zombie insect there, right? Uh, that's what covetousness does to the hearts of God's people here, right? Just slowly but surely, further and further down this path, uh, it takes them over. They become uh, completely overcome uh, by their covetousness. And the second thing that we see here is that uh, God's representatives have abdicated their duty to guide God's people and rebuke God's people. You see all those phrases that I read? The prophets actually lead people astray. Uh, the leaders and rulers despise justice, distort all that is right. Uh, they build the kingdom with bloodshed and wickedness. The leaders judge for a bribe. The priests teach for a price. Uh, the prophets tell fortunes for money. There's a thorough corruption here, isn't there? It's like all throughout, right? The guidance uh, that the prophets, the priests, the kings just the, uh, just the people in the society that had some prominence even, the, the guidance that they were supposed to be giving to the culture, to the society, uh, to the, the, the people of God is gone. There's no shepherding happening. There's no guidance happening. They're actually leading people in this direction. And then what do they say? Is the Lord not among us? No disaster will come upon us. And so not only is the, the guidance gone, the shepherding gone, uh, but God's witness of rebuke is abdicated as well. They've decided to shrug off their responsibility uh, to guide God's people, uh, to rebuke God's people, and instead, I'm gonna go with this. It's a thorough abdication. It's a thorough uh, corruption. The guardrails are gone as well. And it's important to note they followed the kings down this path. I mentioned uh, the ones that uh, were in power when Micah was in ministry, and they were really bad, right? The kings were to lead in particular in a different direction, right? The prophets were to speak God's words to God's people, right? To make sure God's people know 
what he requires, what's good. And make sure that God's people know, like, hey, if we don't live according to this, Deuteronomy actually has some very specific consequences that God promises for us, right? There's a prophet's role. The priests are supposed to be uh, uh, representing God's people to God, right? bringing the sacrifices, shepherding in that way. The kings are supposed to be leading God's people in righteousness. Very little of that happened, and we uh, walked down uh, this moral entropy, right? There's more and more chaos going on. The, the kings are to lead against our natural inclinations toward righteousness, right? But instead, we see you know, guys like Ahaz in particular follow the ways of the kings of Israel again, right? Even to the point where uh, supposedly Ahaz was actually offering up uh, children for sacrifice, so the kings and covenant people were to lead against these, uh, these natural directions toward righteousness. Uh, and instead, the northern kings, again, in Israel, they all led away uh, from God. Uh, most of the ones in Judah uh, were as well. But, but God had promised, hey, the judgment is going to come, not according to like a particular percentage of people who are involved in the unrighteousness, right? It's coming because of the kings. The way that the kings lead uh, toward destruction uh, or toward righteousness. That's what's going to determine what happens with Judah and Israel, right? Uh, and I was thinking about my car, and uh, try not to covet this when you see it. I know, it's a thing of beauty. Um, I am uh, trying not to covet a car that's a little bit bigger so that I can take the kids around uh, when, uh, when Allie needs me to. So we, hopefully we'll make that change fairly soon. But... Um, you know, it's, it's kind of counterintuitive with a little car like this. When you think about what powers it, what really moves it forward, right? I think naturally, if we don't know anything about cars in particular, and I know very, very little, we would assume, yeah, those front wheels probably just pulled it all along, right? Uh, but what's actually going on with this bad boy right here is there's, there's that one wheel that's really driving everything. Right? It's rear wheel drive. Uh, it may be... Uh, a little counterintuitive for us to think about this. Right? We have a very uh, individualistic, centric thought process. Right? We think about a judgment for me because of what I have done. What, what God is promising uh, to his people is judgment is coming for the covenant people. Right? Uh, even though there are people like Micah, there are people like Isaiah, at the very least we got two, right? uh, who are trying to follow the Lord, who are bringing a word uh, to God's people that they would repent. Uh, nonetheless, uh, the kings and the leaders are what has driven everything in this direction, and they are what is bringing God's word of judgment now. Third thing is that uh, God's witness in the world looked just like the world. That's what ends up happening here at the end of this cycle, right? They plan iniquity. They plot evil on their beds, he says. Right? They seize fields. They take houses. They defraud people. They rob of their inheritances, right? You think about, we've looked some uh, at Old Testament law over the course of this year, haven't we? There was supposed to be a time where people who had sold off their family lands, who were in debt, et cetera, right? Every few years, they're supposed to be returned in God's kingdom. And that was not happening anymore. 
what you begin to see is that uh, the, the rich folks, the folks with power are seeking more of it. Their covetousness, right, their desire for more has overtaken them. They're joining land to land, the scriptures say, right? They're, they're creating these huge estates where they should be saying, hey, it's the year of Jubilee. We're going to give back. We're going to put this back the way it should be. So there's no uh, people who are just permanently a class uh, in poverty in this land. It's not what God wants. So they're doing that. They're robbing of inheritances. Uh, the prophets are waging war, right? When they don't get what they want, they're just going to unload on the people. Right? And so it's less about speaking God's word, even if it happens to be hard. Uh, and it's more about let's tickle the ears as long as I'm getting what I want. If I don't, then we'll unload harshness on you. Right? We'll wage war. They despise justice, distort what's right. There's bloodshed, wickedness. They're corrupt for money. Right? The faithful have been swept from the land. Right? Again, it says, no one upright remains. A generalization because I, obviously God has at least Micah and Isaiah there. They're lying in wait to shed blood. They're hunting each other. That breaks my heart. Does it break your heart to think about that for a moment? Right? Psalm 23 says, goodness and chesed, the loving kindness of the Lord will be hunting you for all of your life. You ever think about that? It's good stuff. This is the exact opposite. People who are supposed to be the representatives of that never stopping, never giving up love, right, are instead hunting other people. It's heartbreaking. They have skill in evil, it says. And so it looks just like the world, which is worse than the world. Judah, Israel, look just like Assyria. Y'all look just like Babylon, just like Egypt, which is worse is far worse because uh, you have the testimony of what's good. You know. You know the love of God. You have the stories of how he has shown up again and again and again. How he's provided for us. How he's cared for us. How he intends for us to be the light on the hill, Zion, right, to all the world. You know. So it's worse and so the shepherding is gone. The guardianship is gone. And even the care for others within the people of God is gone. And so what we see is when the covenant of people live their own way, they perpetuate injustice just like the surrounding world. And a few years ago, that may have been a surprising statement, I guess. But it's probably not real surprising right now, is it? Like, we, we feel overwhelmed often with the stories, right? Abuse uh, in the church, in churches. And not just that, but the willingness to sweep it under the rug. Whew. God's people go their own way. They perpetuate justice, injustice, just like the world, right? There's a new book out. Don't go get it. Don't even look it up. <laughs> uh, but it's from a, a person who is within similar circles uh, theologically to us, who assigns a propensity of violence uh, and evil and societal breakdown to race, like very publicly doing this. And uh, again, I would not advise going to figure this out on Twitter, but it's all over the place there, right? Well, no, 
church decides what's good and bad for ourselves, we perpetuate injustice just like the world. Uh, I've seen as well plenty of churches softening on things like uh, the right of the unborn to life just because it's complex. It's profoundly complex. The reality of that statement and God's utter commitment to it doesn't change the fact that it's complex. It doesn't answer absolutely every question of how these things play out, does it? We know it's complicated. And yet, uh, to soften on God's absolute commitment to life uh, is an absolute abdication of our duty. Uh, When God's people decide what is right and wrong in our own eyes, we perpetuate injustice just like the surrounding world, right? So just because we ask Jesus into our heart uh, does not mean that we might not be an instrument of oppression in some way if we're not paying attention, right? Like we said last week, no one is immune to the spirit of the age. But we have hope. Even if we have found ourselves in that place, Jesus defines goodness. We don't. And that's okay. Jesus defines goodness and he is making all things good through a people he unites to himself. Thank God it does not depend on us. Thank God it does not depend on us, right? right? Jesus was not overcome uh, with covetousness. Jesus was overcome with the Father's desires to give himself for us, right? And so for those who trust in Jesus' forgiveness, uh, trust Jesus to make them right with God, trust Jesus to give them fellowship with God, he will never abdicate. He will never abdicate uh, giving us guidance, uh, bringing us rebuke right in and through his word, the Holy Spirit guiding us in that application and in faithful teaching in and through his church. Uh, And Jesus will always have a witness in this world, always, right? Individual churches may die, right? We give up on uh, the, the basics of what it means to know Jesus, what it means to follow Jesus, God gives us no guarantee that we get to exist together, zero. As a matter of fact, I would say, and we'll talk about this more next week, uh, if we go in that other direction, God promises uh, that churches will die. Movements and denominations will die. And praise God that they do uh, if we give up what he has for us. Yet, God will always have a witness in this world. Uh, His scriptures say the gates of hell shall not prevail against his people because of Jesus, right? So God will always have a people reflecting his goodness somehow, somewhere in this world, right? It's a horrible mess, and yet he still promises to work in us, to work through us. And so the scriptures lay out, uh, though they will not use these specific words, that there's a difference between the visible church and the invisible church, right? Uh, Romans 9 uh, lays this out a little bit in terms of Israel. There's a difference between a nation state called Israel and a people who are Israel, who are after God's heart because they are united to Jesus. And so there will always be a people united to Jesus who are bringing his love, his goodness to bear. 
And so the individual application here is kind of the same as always, right? For us, we long to be individuals in a people where that's true. We we trust Jesus, we trust the good news, we step out in faith, uh, and and therefore we guard the vulnerable, not oppress. But I think it's a very natural uh, question in this political season in particular. How does that apply right here? How is that going to apply, particularly because there are huge questions uh, around uh, the vulnerable with our votes? And I know many of us probably have voted early, but it's coming this week, so we're going to talk about it a little bit, right? There's been a profoundly overheated rhetoric in the church around this stuff, right? And the implication that coming to a different conclusion somehow about how God's values get played out, uh, somehow if you come to a different conclusion than me, that's evil, that's wicked, that's sin, right? Uh, And so we've talked about this at core. If you happen to not be there, uh, then hopefully this is not a surprise, but what you're not going to hear from me or from Christ community is who you should vote for, what you should vote for. Uh, Anything that I say and do up here, if I say, do this, don't do that, right? There's an implication there that that is sin, That's wicked somehow. And so uh, even if there's something that I may think is super unwise, I want to be incredibly careful with that. I want to not call something sin, which the scriptures are silent about. It's a major, major error for pastors. Uh, And yet, I want to help guide a little bit. Votes themselves are not sins. And again, if you've heard this already, sorry, you're going to get a little bit of a repeat here for a moment. Votes themselves are not sins. My attitude when I vote might be a sin, but votes themselves are not. Tim Keller said this uh, a few years back in an uh, op-ed in the New York Times. Most political positions are not matters of biblical command, but of practical wisdom. This does not mean that the church can never speak on social, economic, and political realities because the Bible often does. Racism is a sin, violating the second of the two great commandments of Jesus to love your neighbor. The biblical commands to lift up the poor and to defend the rights of the oppressed are moral imperatives for believers. For individual Christians to speak out against egregious violations of these moral requirements is not optional. So uh, we have these moral imperatives, uh, and yet it's a matter of wisdom in terms of how we apply that, right? Uh, The author and professor James Davison Hunter calls it uh, to have a faithful presence in the culture, where we're not seeking to gain power for ourselves or for our side so much as uh, being faithful within the culture to represent uh, God's values there. And so... uh, Specifically, I will super briefly uh, just talk about a couple things here. I've put together a document. It's on the website. You can go to resources and look at it. That might just be helpful for you as you evaluate, uh, how should I think about uh, voting? How should I think about applying this uh, in this sphere of uh, the American cultural uh, milieu, as it were, right? But three things. Character, commitments, competence, right? So super, super briefly, character. When I'm thinking about who I'm voting for, is this a person that has values, that has a backbone, 
uh, that has integrity. Commitments. Is this a person that's committed to the things that God is committed to, particularly as it regards people and the vulnerable? And I'm not driving at anything. (laughs) A promise, right? You have to make your decision. Competence. How? Right? Whatever they think they're going to do or say they're going to do, do I think they know how? Do I think they can actually lead it? Right. That's a, a scriptural lens as we step into, the, into this, right? This is more than just a personal application as well. I would say this needs to be a congregational application where we say we're totally committed to the values of God and yet there's freedom. There's a lot of freedom. We must be a community that give each other freedom, right? Uh, in coming to our conclusions about how God's commitments apply in various ways, right? We must represent the good news to one another and to the world in that way, right? It doesn't matter how much you care about the issue. It does not matter how angry it makes you. You have to allow for others to come to different conclusions about that how. That's what it means to walk in faith in this. And no matter where we fall on the political spectrum, we must care for those that God demands that we care about. Both, both. Uh, I'll wrap with this. Um, You know, thinking about this, the both, it could feel like, man, this is a real narrow path. We could slip off real easily on either side of that real quick, couldn't we? It made me think about a book that I read when I was a little kid. You may have heard me tell the story. I think that this book played a little bit of a part in my coming to faith, actually. It's an illustrated version of The Pilgrim's Progress by Bunyan called A Dangerous Journey. If you know kids that really love art and illustration, it's super fun. And I just thought of this picture in my head. Uh, of the valley of the shadow of death. And so Bunyan talks about, you know, specifically the valley of the shadow of death from scripture and Christian is walking through the valley. See how narrow that is? It ain't a great picture. It's a screenshot of a video actually, but it's on there. That's what popped into my head the moment uh, I started thinking about, you know, the slippery slopes, so to speak, on both sides, right? On the one hand, we have to have grace for one another as we individually figure out what it looks like to step forward by faith in this. And on the other hand, we have to passionately pursue uh, the restoration of the vulnerable, don't we? And so uh, in the story, uh, the protagonist, as he's making his way along that real narrow path, he leans into the scriptures. He starts recalling, rehearsing to himself the scriptures The promises of God, the promises of the good news. And as he does, slowly but surely, step by step, he sees more light. And he ends proclaiming a song. Oh, world of wonders, I can say no less that I should be preserved in that distress that I have met with here. Oh, blessed be the hand that from it hath delivered me. Dangers and darkness, devils, hell and sin did compass me while I was this veil was in. Yea, snares and pits and traps and nets did lie. 
my path about. Worthlessly, I might have been caught, entangled, and cast down. But since I live, let Jesus wear the crown. Let's pray. Jesus, we want you to wear the crown. We want you to wear the crown and you determine what's wrong. You determine what's right. As we may have prayed once when we were children or not too long ago, you are Lord. And so we want you to wear the crown over our hearts and over our lives individually uh, and, and communally as well. We want you to speak into our congregation what's right, what's wrong. We don't want to follow in that same error as uh, Adam and Eve did at the beginning to eat from the tree that we will be the ones who determine what's right and wrong. We want to follow in that error of the book of Judges that again and again your people did what was right in their own eyes. Uh, We want to be those who are following you every step of the way and gaining more light as we remember, as we rehearse it to ourselves. That we might not be those who take part in any injustice, and if we do, we would repent quickly. But instead, that we might be those who bring your justice fully whole. Instead, we might bring those, be those who bring uh, restoration for all the vulnerable, even though it's complicated, uh, even though uh, the, the different values may seem to be competing against each other sometimes, uh, we want to be the ones who say we, we care for all. We care for all. We can't do that without your spirit doing a work within us. And so we pray, as we've heard your word preached this morning, Spirit, would you move? Uh, Would you cause us to leave this place as those who love you, uh, even a tiny imperceptibly bit more uh, because of your work uh, in us? And would you do work through us? Would we be a congregation that through uh, our political choices and much more than that, our life within the community uh, brings your beauty, your restoration, your consummation, your goodness? and love to bear wherever we are. We pray these things in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.